Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you experts from the media industry to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Podcasts have experienced a boom in recent years, and it feels like most news organisations have pivoted towards them in one way or another. This week, we'll be talking about how to introduce audio-first journalism into your newsroom. One news outlet that has been making big waves in the podcast market over the last two years is The Telegraph. During that time, the audio department has expanded its podcast team and roster of shows, but it's also embraced more ambitious formats and audio platforms, including Twitter Spaces, Smart Speakers, and WhatsApp audio briefings. We'll be digging into all of those details with the publication's head of audio, Theodora Leloudis. We often think of The Telegraph as a legacy print news organisation. Theo tells me today how audio-first journalism is changing how the company works and encouraging more people to take up digital subscriptions. Stay tuned. Theodora, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Great to have the chance to speak to you. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you for having me, Jacob. What's a little known fact about you that you can share with our audience? God, there is nothing that makes you feel boring, like being asked to think of a fun fact about you. I was thinking and thinking and I came up with all sorts of odd facts, things that might get me fired, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But I suppose one that's both relevant and quite fun, I think, is that I had to report my brother's own Olympic victory on the radio, which was a good day at work. Oh, really? Yes. Um, what kind of interview questions do you sort of throw at your brother then? Uh, tricky ones. No, no, no. Nice ones. Um, and yeah, I, I'm sort of not. Well, at the time, I wasn't really thinking about. Um, is that bad to say? I wasn't thinking so much about the questions. I I, I was thinking about kind of staying calm and um, not exploding with um, kind of joy and pride on. Staying professional then. Exactly. On, on local radio where I was working at the time. Um, staying professional. But as soon as the. Um, call was over I did burst with pride yeah the with the rest of it well huge congratulations to your brother of course thank you it was a good day um Theodora you head up the audio uh, at, at the Telegraph um you know when we think of the Telegraph we think of this as a, a legacy traditionally print text uh, news organization why is the Telegraph interested in audio these days yeah so there's a number of reasons I think um First of all, it's just an unavoidable medium that's just not going anywhere. We're not kind of um, looking for you to just listen to our podcast or just read our articles, but we use our audio as a way to kind of bring our journalism to life. Um, I think there's something about hearing the journalists' voices um, that makes our readers and then listeners um, feel closer to them. Um, it can be a really great way of us to grow the profile of a journalist because um, audio allows them to add a little bit more personality than they might in a kind of straight news article. And then it does attract uh, a younger audience as well for us. Um, and obviously that younger audience um, may come in as a, a non-paying um, listener using our podcast as a kind of window shop into our journalism. And then obviously the hope is that they build up enough habits um, listening to The Telegraph um, that they do one day become a paying subscriber for our print and online journalism. Um, but we also use it as a way to kind of add value um, for existing subscribers and um, as a kind of retention perk um, would be a really dry way of describing it. But something that, um, you know, it's not all about bringing in new people. It's about keeping the people that you have as well, the audience that you have. Um, so, 
Yeah, there's a number of reasons. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn to say that, um, you know, the Telegraph has seen places like um, our friends at the New York Times across the pond grow to a huge audience through audio. Um, and we'd be silly to ignore that. Makes complete sense. I guess a um, less dry way of putting it would be more bang for your buck for your subscribers, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I hope they see it that way, too. The Telegraph's audio team has been growing over the last two years. Back then, it had two full-time members working on audio, but now it has five, in addition to working with freelancers and production companies. It started out with the same four main weekly shows, Chopper's Politics, to keep up with all the latest from Westminster, Planet Normal, a place for news and views with two of their most popular columnists, Alison Pearson and Liam Halligan. Mad World, a mental health podcast about ordinary people with extraordinary stories, hosted by Bryony Gordon. And then there's Full Contact, its rugby podcast with Brian Moore. In the year 2019 to 2020, the year of the coronavirus lockdown, it's important to remember, they saw a 120% rise in listener figures. That growth continued into the next year. At the end of 2020, it started to veer into more narrative-driven, episodic documentary series, notably the award-winning investigative show Bed of Lies, about true stories of greed, betrayal and deception. Its latest season looks at one of the biggest medical disasters in history. I think it's time to blow our own trumpet because it won um, both the Press Awards and the British Journalism Awards, um, which we were thrilled about and which cements um, our kind of argument that audio is just another string on the Telegraph's journalism bow. Yeah. Congrats for picking up those awards. I was there in the audience that night Aww. and well, well deserved. Um, Thank you very much. A question that comes to mind just picking up on the on the growth you talk about there is, is it harder to grow from a small position like in those first few years you talked about that 120% or is it harder later on when you've kind of built a bit of a following and trying to go to that next level? You said you're experiencing a little more growth these days. What's kind of a harder position to be in? Oh, that's interesting. I would say that it also depends on... Um, the kind of state of the industry and also we we can find that you know the apple algorithm might change or the way that they they count um listens might change and you know we are uh slightly at the behest of um those big tech companies so that does have an effect too mm -hmm. i think it does get to the stage uh where um you have to work a bit harder to grow once you've gone through that initial um expansion but that I would say that we're not at near any kind of peak, both at the Telegraph and in the industry. You know, if you think where podcasting is in its journey, think when TV was at this time in its journey, it was like so far away from even colour TV. Um, you know, the the kind of world is podcasting's oyster, to mix my metaphors. Um, but yeah, we're, we're so not near the bubble bursting that I'm. it's not something I'm worried about. Right, right. But I imagine... How much how much audio did you have from 2019 to to realise that 120% growth that you mentioned? How much was there mm. from that starting point? So we had all the weekly shows that I mentioned. Um, the difference was that we um, were very reactive when COVID started. Um, yes, of And course, we yeah. booted up a um, daily COVID podcast. Um, that is the kind of thing that we wouldn't have been able to do had we not started then um, investing in audio because we simply wouldn't have had the resources um, but that massively paid off then the other thing would be that we also started pivoting into these documentary series those documentary series while they are much higher resource um, take more time they're just simply 
more expensive um you can work on stories that are evergreen so we can re-promote them and re-promote them and re-promote them and um largely they don't date um which means that you have more consistent listens over a longer period of time um and therefore um that's in, entirely why we think it's worth it not least because uh, they're really good and yeah, <laughs> a brilliant way to um kind of invest in long-form journalism that we don't get as much of in the paper anymore these days yeah I, th I think that makes complete sense because if you're looking through you know a publisher that you that you enjoy their podcast you're looking through the various series one will pop out you and that speaks to the evergreen kind of quality that you that you mentioned there exactly. versus something that's a bit more time sensitive a daily podcast for example exactly um i'd like to ask you kind of how is all of this possible really you know is audio good for business frankly um are you seeing you know i think you talked about earlier on the subscription conversions but does it mm. open up different revenue possibilities for uh, the telegraph yeah um i would say that of course we think it's good for business otherwise we wouldn't be um investing in it mm -hmm. the trouble for kind of the industry or st the, the challenge for the industry as a whole um is that that is traditionally quite hard to measure it might be that listening to our podcast is the last push that someone needs to go and um read the print journalism of the host um and they hit a paywall there and that is when they choose to subscribe that's not an onward journey that we could always track so we do think it's good for business in that um, we're confident that it's driving new subscribers. And we do use things like trackable links that we um, you know, promote at the end of a show and um, we'll, we'll track those. But we can't always track this. But we do do things like um, research groups amongst our existing subscribers. And it scores very highly as a kind of engagement tool um, for keeping them. So... Yes, it's it's as an industry, it's difficult to track, but obviously we think that it's totally worth doing. Um, otherwise, you know, we'd be a bad business if we were, were plowing money into it. Yeah, you make a good point because how, if, if someone has finished a podcast, there's no physical way to know if they've gone there and thought, hmm, exactly. you know, I'll now just go onto the website, yeah. see what else is on yeah, there. So, yeah. And um, for the I record, think. I think that that's something that um, Spotify, Apple, um, the platforms will come under pressure, um, especially as they invest in their own subscription content. I think they'll come under pressure to cooperate and integrate with publishers who already have their own um, subscription uh, offering so for example you know apple and spotify are now offering um subscriber only podcast content um but that doesn't mean that if you have a telegraph subscription you could automatically get the telegraph subscriber content on apple and spotify um so i think that yeah in coming um i'd love to say months i think it might be years um they'll, they'll come under pressure to kind of combine the two and, and work more closely with publishers like us Spotify and Apple Podcasts have also launched podcast paid subscriptions in recent times. That means it's possible for listeners to support their favourite podcasts and get exclusive content. Theodora is unsure whether The Telegraph will eventually go down this road. She says the devil is in the detail and feels that publishers like themselves need better terms than what are currently on offer. Spotify currently allows podcast creators to start without any fees and retain all subscription revenue until 2023, at which point there'll be a 5% fee on earnings going forward. Apple, by contrast, gives you 70% of your subscription revenue to start with, minus any taxes. After one year, that goes up to 85%. But any ad revenue you earn is 100% yours to keep. Whilst The Telegraph is open to putting out podcasts exclusively for subscribers, 
they haven't yet made this move because they want to target growth for the time being. So we have experimented in the past with um, bonus content or offering um, subscribers episodes early and kind of windowing them um, and things like that. And it's something that we'll keep experimenting with. Um, but at the moment, we are looking to disseminate our audio as far as we can um, before delving more deeply into the subscriber-only content side of things because we think that there's still capacity to grow our audience before we start to monetize it more deliberately. This could change at any point and our eyes are always open to ways in which we could serve our subscribers better and the day that we think that doing exclusive content for our subscribers uh, we won't hesitate. Um, so really what I'm saying is that that could change. Watch this space. Right. So is that a question of the audience being ripe enough to move into exclusive content or the market being ripe enough? I think it's a bit of both. You know, we're still early days in terms of um, people actually knowing that Spotify and Apple are doing subscriber only content or knowing the difference between subscriber only audio content and non-subscriber audio content. I think also we anecdotally have an audience that is slightly older than your average podcast audience. Um albeit younger than than print um and we're waiting till a moment where we know that they'd be confident enough to know how to access that audio interestingly what you're doing at the moment is audio first journalism with text and print supporting it as opposed to what we might classically think of which is print first journalism and then you've got maybe audio elements to follow i'm just wondering if you could sort of explain the difference and go into some of the sort of considerations that 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 presents when doing it audio first? Yeah, so traditionally we'd start things print and then we'd kind of see how audio would work. These days I have the pleasure of getting pitches that are from journalists who want to tell their story in audio. Later down the line we'll go, well how can we make this into a multimedia project where we're attracting our audience wherever they are. So we are going to have audiences who've never engaged with our audio, who um, like to sit on the tube and read their Telegraph app. So what are we going to do for the Telegraph app that will work as a way to send people to that audio? That might be an article in which we discuss the audio or embed the audio, or it might be a video on YouTube, which has a clip of that interview. So we'll make the podcast and then trying to um, meet people where they are in order to tell them about the podcast. That's really exciting. Um, the key difference when we're doing that um, between starting with print and moving into audio is that often audio just takes longer than print. Um, so especially if we're doing a documentary series, you know, we want to work on these stories for at least three months, preferably six. If it were up to me a year, um, uh, it should be up to me really, but you're working with other people's time and everyone's busy in a, in a daily newsroom so yeah there has been a bit of a kind of culture um, change that we've tried to instill to let people know I'm talking about the documentary series here really that um, these good audio takes time and takes resources. I, I get from that sort of managing expectations managing deadlines do you also see culture change in how you have to manage staff and going through the edits and how much back and forth there is with with team members does it change much uh, you know from that collaborative side of things? When you mean kind of in terms of working with um, print journalists on audio? Correct yeah. Yeah so um, something that I always found kind of funny when I joined um, the Telegraph and I've been here for just over four years was that I'd work with these incredibly experienced um, talented 
award-winning um, print journalists and I would feel kind of terrible imposter syndrome um, and then I'd get them into the audio studio and they'd kind of want their handheld or um, ask me questions as if I was some kind of expert which I certainly didn't feel at the time. Normally what happens is I start talking to them like they're children um, and immediately um, feel silly because they get it immediately and I've just kind of patronised this incredibly experienced journalist who just needed a bit of hand-holding um, because um, often it's just a confidence thing or a, um, slight tweaks in the way that they write, um, you know, writing for print and writing for audio are two different things when you're writing scripts. Um, but yeah, thankfully they make my job very easy and they, they tend to get it pretty sharpish. Wow. How have you refined that process and refined that workflow? What have you found to be some of the best practices from yeah. working with very classically trained print journalists and helping them into the audio medium? Um, it sounds so basic, but having them listen to podcasts. Um, so often they're so busy. Some of them are hugely engaged with audio, but the ones who um, need a bit more coaching time can go by without them um, listening to a show. So I put them onto my favourite shows, not least because some people find there's that kind of old adage if you don't know what you're doing, I'm going to butcher it. I don't know the exact phrasing. It, it's that kind of idea that if, if you're not that confident in what you're doing, find someone who whose work that you like and kind of model yourself around them until you find your feet. Um, so I won't tell you whose um, presentation skills I <laughs> tend to point people towards. Um, otherwise, you might start seeing kind of stark similarities. But um, there are people that I, I point people towards in terms of their um, writing for audio and their presentation skills yeah that's one thing um which seems simple but it can get lost yeah so inundate them with good inspiration because um you can pick up so many things just by listening to other great presenters and other great podcasters can't you so i think that's a yeah and and reassuring people that we edit everything you know um you know there are great podcasters who i'm sure need very little editing um but if you if you are a bit nervous it can be quite a forgiving medium amen <laughs> amen <laughs> i'm hoping that you're going to edit all my ums and ahs and stutters out of this um because yeah it, it can be yeah a, a good comb through makes a, a hell of a difference to a podcast doesn't it you know how much how much you exactly. can transform a show in the edit versus when you're just delivering lines and doing scripts so um exactly you know do you do anything like showing them before and afters uh on, on previous takes or just how do you navigate that kind of expectation um I wouldn't show them before and afters. Um, you know, they'll, they'll listen to the after. Um, and um, generally people are surprised about how good they sound, um, which is, mm. um, I, I don't think that's all down to kind of good editing. I think um, people are just a bit hard on themselves when, when it's a newer medium. Yeah. Um, Do you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of like, if you're if you're an actor and you're doing a film for like Marvel and you're dressed up in all the mocap and you feel a bit silly going around sort of the production studio. Exactly. And then you see it on the big screen and it looks incredible. It's exactly. And it's just, yeah. In, in The reality of it is quite bare bones when you're doing the nuts and bolts, but the final edit is, is transformative. Exactly. And it can feel a bit bitty when you're recording something because there are days where we'll have to start and stop and correct things and um, an interviewee will cancel Ugh. 10 minutes before whilst we're still recording and I'll stop the record to say by the way we don't have that interview in 10 minutes it can feel bitty but hopefully no one has ever listened to one of our shows and thought god that felt really bitty I can tell that they stopped for 10 minutes to discuss the fact that the interviewee had just cancelled a good edit means um, these things are all smoothed and that's our problem and not the audience's problem 
Hi there, hope you're enjoying the show. Just a quick one from me and then we'll get back to the interview. Just wanted to let you know that our Digital Journalism Conference News Riot is finally returning to the physical space and we can't wait to see you there. Join us on the 24th of May 2022 at News UK's stunning 17th floor space in London Bridge to hear expert panels and discussions, but most importantly, to network with your peers at last. You can take advantage of our early bird offer, which will save you £40 on your ticket. Hurry now because the offer only lasts until the 8th of April. Head over to newsrewide.com to bag your ticket now. Right, let's get back to Theo, shall we? What are the best stories for audio first journalism? I think you said very early in this interview, you know, audio lends itself very well to those human and emotional qualities, uh, you know, with the spoken word. What what are the, some of the best stories for for audio first journalism? I would say it's the ones where I'll encourage journalists around the newsroom to come to me if they're writing a long read and they just feel like, oh, there's so much more to say. We are really lucky to have the space to tell those stories, um, which is why you get so many um, kind of podcasts, documentaries, Netflix shows, et cetera, um, commissioned from kind of New Yorker long reads, et cetera. So definitely long form. Um stories where this sounds really basic um stories where people will talk <laughs> um which um there's a lot of truth to that <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i've had things like um you know people will come and say uh oh i'd love to do a podcast about xyz and then you just think well first of all half those people are um you know 14 and they're talking about something contentious so we're going to need their parents um, permission and their parents are going to say no for xyz that person needs to be um, legally anonymous um, and we're already using three voice actors um, so uh, we don't want a fourth otherwise the show is going to be an entirely voice acted show you know th- those kind of things um, or when someone yeah can't talk to you because um, they're talking to an upcoming inquiry or something is a live um, uh, investigation or, you know, all those kind of legal issues that we um, deal with all the time. So something where people will talk um, and also where the people who will talk tell a good story. Have something interesting to say, right? Yeah. You know, you you will appreciate this as someone who works in audio, but sound bites when there's no substance in them can, yeah. can really just drag down an episode. So I think your point there is really, really exactly. wise, which is, what have they got to say on this issue, which is eye-opening and revealing and, and has some substance to it. Yeah, totally. And, and also, yeah, you say revealing. Um, we're really focusing on things that tell original journalism and um, haven't been done before. And I'm kind of, as a person in the audio industry, I'm thrilled to see um, more places investing in um, kind of meaty audio journalism that's really getting cut through but we have it a little bit more that we get sniffs that other places are working on stories that we're thinking of doing whereas um, I didn't used to have that nearly as much. The beauty of audio is that it gives you many creative options. You can take audio from a variety of sources like a Twitter Spaces session and repackage it into a podcast. There are also a range of distribution options. For example, the Telegraph podcasts are also delivered on smart speakers and through the Telegraph's app. The Telegraph also has a broadcast channel on WhatsApp that people can sign up to for free and they will receive a two-minute audio briefing twice a day as a roundup of the main stories. Few news organisations are using private messaging platforms in this way. Most news outlets use WhatsApp or platforms like Telegram as a way to pump out links to breaking news stories or roundups of their best articles. 
Not many are making use of the audio function quite like the Telegraph. But why? Well, think about it. How many of us send and receive voice notes to our friends and family? It's something that a lot of young people do especially, and the intent is to emulate that personal and intimate experience. I'm in my um, late 20s and it is really how my friends communicate these days. In fact, anyone um, my age will tell you that they find getting a voicemail absolutely infuriating because what's the point when you could voice memo, um, which is, yeah, it's what we all do. Yeah, nothing worse than a really long text. Just uh... Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there are new innovations um, which have been popping up, which we've been making the most of. So things like live social audio, um, the rise and fall of Clubhouse um, and in the rise of Twitter spaces, which um, I have a feeling might stick around. So those social platforms where um, you can almost record a kind of live podcast the moment we're doing daily Twitter spaces um, on the situation in Ukraine um, at 1pm every day. Do tune in on the Telegraph's Twitter. Um, they're really, really fascinating. But if you forget to tune in, we put them out um, as an edited podcast later that day, a podcast called Ukraine The Latest, which is a pop-up um, feed that we booted up really quickly. Um, so, yeah, I guess another way that we're experimenting is being really reactive, um, finding those subjects that everyone's talking about, whether that be coronavirus or Ukraine, um, and reacting with um, like daily updates um, from our newsroom. Um, and then we won't be precious about it when, um, oh God, I hope for everyone's sake, Ukraine um, finishes sooner rather than later, but I don't think that will be the case. That's another story. Um, but when the time comes, um, this is not a show that we plan to keep forever. Um, God, hope we don't have to. Um, and we will fold that show and move on to the next thing that people are talking about. Yeah. The super interesting thing about that, and I've said this numerous times, is just how flexible and adaptable audio is and how they actually interlink with one another on different platforms. You know, you've got, you know, you can pull out snippets from what you're doing on a Twitter space, pop that in a WhatsApp, pop that in a in a podcast. There's so much synergy between these kind of platforms. Audio gives you so many options to play around with. Yeah. One of our favorite things to do is um, we'll have someone say something on a show like uh, Chopper's Politics, our political show, with our assistant editor, Christopher Hope, um, also known as Chopper. He will have a politician say something on that show um, and they might mention, say, another politician. Uh, and then we'll have that other politician on the show the following week and we'll play them a clip of what the person said about them and have them react to it, which is yeah fun way to I guess tee up interviewees I guess in some way yeah yeah which is a fun way to um kind of generate more original journalism from your own own original journalism um and, and get live reaction to which is always fun to capture yeah yeah that makes complete sense um my final question to you is what kind of tech advancements in the world of audio are you keeping your eye on I guess the realistic thing that I'm thinking about um in terms of tech and developments we have seen a kind of slow rise in um, software that helps you edit audio more quickly. Um, that is something that I'm always on the lookout for because um, in a daily newsroom where we cover a lot of news audio, anyone who's a fast editor will get booked again um, because we do work at a very fast pace. Um, so things like Descript, um, the program, which does a whole number of things, but it does um, transcriptions, and um, they do have a function for uh, removals of ums and ahs, et cetera. 
those aren't quite where we need them to be yet. Um, but some kind of AI automation thing that really speeds up editing once we get to the stage where I trust it as much as I would my audio editors who for the record will still have lots of work because there is always more to do um, and I'm not planning on replacing all of our editors with robots anytime soon um, far far from it but um, I think we'll see a rise of that and I think they'll get better and better and better and it will be nothing but a good thing in my eyes. It's nice to dream isn't it or it's nice to hope but um, we, will, we will watch that space. Theodora thank you so much for jumping on the journalism.co.uk podcast this has been a blast thank you. Thank you it's been really interesting I'm always happy to talk about my own work. <laughs> thank you Jacob. Really great to talk to Theodora and lots to think about there. The main thoughts I'm left with are that pivoting towards a new medium effectively will inevitably mean changing how you've always worked up until that point. Deadlines, workflows, team management. But it's not without good reason. By switching up your digital offering, you have powerful new options to cover both the longer and more complex stories or the news of the day. We'll continue to track these developments for you and want to hear your thoughts on this trend. You can DM or tweet me at JPG Journalism or the wider team at journalism.co.uk at Journalism News. And if you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, get in touch. I'm on Jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. If you're a fan, do leave us a review and a rating so that others can discover these conversations for themselves. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time.